What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. What's up, everybody? On this episode of the podcast, I'm hanging out with the CEO of Smart Recruiters, Jerome Tarrant. He just launched a book called Hiring Success. They have the, just Smart Recruiters as an organization is taking over the globe and the applicant tracking system market. His book is a New York Times bestseller already in the hiring space, recruiting space. I had actually a chance to meet him out in San Francisco at his amazing event, the Smart Recruiters event, and then also just had the real joy and pleasure of hearing a little bit more of his story in this podcast as well, too. He started from the French military, got into recruiting just explored what recruiting was like before the internet, then the internet struck, and then he just began to take over. Definitely a, a Silicon Valley-based company, but also pairing that with uh, with you know the recruiting world as well, too. So his story is fascinating. Loved having him as a guest and just inspired by all the work he's doing. Thanks again, Jerome, for being a guest on this podcast. Awesome. Well, Jerome, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thrilled to have you. Thank you for having me, Matt. So I read your book and we're excited to talk about throughout the course of that, but knowing sort of the, the precursor for what you let off with the book, there's you talking about being in, in the French military and having some amazing background there. So if you're willing, I'd love just to hear your life story. Can you, do you mind just sharing a little bit about your background? Sure. I mean, the one thing I can't hide is I'm French. I've um, been trying to hide that one for a while, but then I, you know, got came to terms with it. Um, and um, born and raised in uh, in France, north of France, studied in Paris. Uh, did go to the military um, and uh, for a couple of years, mandatory draft, which I extended, which is a good 
good time, um, good fun of uh, actually uh, seeing a different uh, different world from uh, mostly the business world that I've uh, evolved in uh, um, since then. Um, I ended up uh, being a lieutenant in the paratroops, and there I, I was uh, in charge of the uh, the first you know the first sixty days of newcoming soldiers, like the boot camp, and this really taught me a lot about like literally onboarding I actually reference this in the book and 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 how 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 the army behaves with uh, new hires in a way um and i think this is the first time that i got interested in like you know what is a good match uh, for uh, between people and jobs like what does what does a good soldier look like what is a good you know People, some people run fast, some people aim straight, some people are disciplined, some people are creative. And it was the first time that I realized that actually the diversity of, of a group of people can make up for an army. Um, and, uh, and that was only the, the beginning of me getting into recruiting. Um, after that, I went to, uh, I moved to the Czech Republic, started a, a recruitment agency, not because I, really loved recruiting, but everybody was like, oh, there's so much you can do in the Czech Republic at that time. This is 1992, right after the Berlin Wall fell. That dates me a bit, I guess, but that's what it is. And uh, and so I said, oh, okay, well, I guess I could do a recruitment agency. So I did a recruitment agency, did that for eight years. Uh, we ended up expanding throughout Central and Eastern Europe, like all the way to Moscow, Russia, and, and the likes. And we were hiring local talent for incoming uh, Western companies. And then um, right around 2000, I thought, oh, okay, there's the internet that's coming here and, and we should, uh, uh, it's probably going to change the way recruiting uh, uh, happens, actually. So I moved myself to London, uh, partnered partner up with Accenture and created one of the first applicant tracking systems, a um, company called Mr. Ted. Don't ask me why. Uh, and I did that for 10 years, uh, first generation ATS. And then I realized, you know, ATS systems actually, they don't make hiring easy. They, they actually make hiring more difficult. So what would it take to actually make hiring easy for businesses? What's the what's a proper talent acquisition suite? And then uh, in 2010, I, um, I moved to San Francisco and I founded Smart Recruiters, uh, which is the hiring success company. And we basically took a blank sheet of paper and reinvented uh, um, recruiting technology done right. Spent four years in R&D, uh, launched our product in 2015, and uh, now we have about a thousand enterprise customers using smart recruiters to manage all of their uh, talent acquisition processes uh, globally. Big big companies, uh, you know, such as Bosch or IKEA, Visa, even LinkedIn actually uses us globally to manage their own hiring. Twitter, um, so uh, we've we've had a good run at, at it, but as you can hear now in in two minutes of summarizing 20 years, I've kind of been in recruiting forever. I absolutely love that. And I've got a, I've got a few questions starting from the beginning of the story, but I mean, quite frankly, I've just got a lot of questions because this, the story is fascinating. My first one, and this is a, this, you know, do you feel like the, 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 the mandatory military was helpful for you? Did you enjoy that sort of, you said it was a two year experience and then you extended that. Do you feel like that, yeah. you know, helped you grow? Was that a good experience? It was a good experience. Yeah. It was a very good experience for me. Um, 
being in a very different environment, I chose to go. So we have a mandatory mandatory draft, but you can also do it working for a company uh, um, uh, or in an office. You don't need to go in the military at the time. Uh, but it was very useful, uh, very useful for me. I mean, I found myself, you know, age 20 some, um, running a platoon of 40 young kids. Uh, the paratroops uh, was like a disciplinary environment. So most of the kids they would send uh, send there were, you know, people who had um, uh, criminal records or broken life stories and and needed, you know, extra extra care. I would say. Um, so I I suddenly found myself like uh, in in the middle of many many different lives, many broken lives. I feel that has shaped me. I mean, to this day, I still volunteer uh, um, in in prison here in California regularly, um, and it has helped me uh, lead and connect with all kinds of people. Yeah, that's amazing, and what an interesting perspective to allow you to recruit better and see potential in people, which is fa- fantastic. Uh, so, would you say, you know, one one thing uh, about entrepreneurs is maybe not always the most discipline more on the idea side of things rather than the discipline idea side certainly a generalization with that statement but would you say you know the military uh helped you form discipline or would you say you came into that with pretty a a pretty disciplined attitude that allowed you to you know expand on ideas afterwards sort of which if you were more on the idea side or the discipline side which would you typically lean towards um i'm definitely on the idea side um but with a, over the years, a stronger and stronger execution. Um, you know, it's like 10% inspiration and 99% execution. That's kind of how I normally break it down. Yeah, love that. So then transitioning into moving to Czech Republic and, and, and you started, that's where you began sort of the, the recruiting style of things. Um, what was the secret to the you know the success because obviously you expanded you know reading your book and hearing what you said you expanded uh you know the the growth of the company rapidly even before the internet came around so what would you say was sort of the the secret to success that you were implementing at the time and then what was different after you know the internet came out for you guys specifically yeah the i mean our growth was just being able to find good candidates uh, for companies. So I think we were in the middle of a fantastic economic cycle, transitioning from uh, a planned communist economy into a a free economy was really interesting. Um, It's a fascinating time to be a recruiter because at that time, you know, you'd, you'd have... You know, the, like the new, the big companies coming in, say, I don't know, L'Oréal, and um, they'd say, hey, I need to hire a marketing manager with 10 years experience in cosmetics. And you're like, well, nobody has 10 years experience in marketing cosmetics in this country because two years ago they were communist. Like, oh, okay. So I need someone who at least has a degree in marketing. Well, the universities here actually don't teach marketing yet. So, uh, okay. So I need someone that actually speaks some English or some French and has a good marketing mindset. Right. And this was really a very, very interesting time as a recruiter because you really had to hire on attitude and not on aptitude. Like you could not go back to someone's resume and say, based on their track record, I think they're going to be a good fit for this. Right. You really had to say, like, based on who this person is and what they're passionate about in life and what how they view their themselves and what their their core attitude is. 
could they actually learn um, to be a good marketer? And uh, that really has influenced my uh, um, my style of hiring uh, a lot towards attitude over aptitude. Um, and that somewhat led to a, a successful business. I mean, we, you know, uh, we grew the company to about 300 people, eight offices. Uh, but then the internet <clears throat> really changed everything. Like it was very clear that um, it was very clear that with online applications, you know, the market would change. How you source candidates would change. Um, how you manage recruiting would change. Uh, how professional you can make it. And so that's when I, I went to London and, and did this uh, first applicant tracking system. And I think the, the problem we did with ATS is we kind of got it wrong, right? We we thought, oh, perfect. Like there's internet. Fill in my form so I can track you in a database. Like we, we, we designed the first generation applicant tracking systems were designed actually, but Matt, as the name says, to track applicants, applicant tracking system. Like when you think about it, even the name is wrong, right? Because it doesn't say hire amazing people systems, right? It's like it, just the idea that tracking is what leads to hiring success is wrong. Um, and when you think, okay, well, what do you need to make great hiring? Well, you need to find good candidates. Then you need to collaborate to choose the right one and you need to be organized. Okay, so let me run this through the ATS uh, principle, right? Does my ATS help me find candidates? Absolutely not, right? Do managers use it to uh, uh, to collaborate and hire great talent? No, they absolutely, they was not, not designed to collaborate with hiring managers. And as a result, our recruiters have been productive in their ATS? Absolutely not, right? So it was really interesting to see how uh, a market and the market leader of ATS ended up being Teleo, whose founder, Louis Tetu, came from Ban, which is a supply chain management uh, company, right? So we applied supply chain principles to recruiting, which, which really was such a wrong way to go about it. But then every company in the world had to buy an ATS because you had to actually manage the inflow of candidates, right? And we didn't solve the problem. So um, it's kind of in short how, how the internet came came about for recruiting, I think. So one thing, just hearing your story, and, and I've known this, uh, <laughs> just hearing about you through other people as well, is you certainly have an incredibly humble approach and not afraid to uh, admit when you're wrong. Even you let off that story by simply saying like, Hey, we sort of got it wrong when we started. Has that always been the case or as a leader, you know, how, as a leader, as an entrepreneur testing different ideas, and you mentioned you're an idea guy, so you have to be willing to throw out ideas and admit when you're wrong. Has that always been ingrained in you or when, when, when did that come to be or sort of how, how, how have you cultivated that? By making mistakes. <laughs> I think life I like is. A, I, like, I like that a lot. You know, <laughs> life is a very good teacher of uh, of humility. Um, like so, yeah, I'm probably way more humble uh, than I was uh, um, a few years ago. Um, but I, yeah, I I think mistakes uh, mistakes here are good, and it's it's interesting because the 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 balance between uh, uh, knowing that you are going to win. And admitting your mistakes uh, is an interesting uh, balance and a critical one to find for um, for entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's fantastic. So on on that note, what would be you know one life lesson since day one, the first day you recruited a candidate? Uh, what would be something that you've sort of had right the whole time, and what would be the biggest mistake that you've learned, or let we'll call it a lesson that you've learned that w- was incorrect? Would you have an example of those? Yeah, so 
one lesson I learned in recruiting is don't trust your judgment. I mean, I'm a good judge of character. Uh, I've interviewed thousands of people in my life. I think I'm okay at evaluating people, but I don't trust my judgment at all. Um, and I always back my hiring by uh, a, a peer, like a collaborative interviewing. Um, so I always have at least two, sometimes three other interviewers with good scorecard, good rational evaluation. And most of the time I back it with some science, um, right? Whether it's skills or personality assessments. So I think the the recruiting in the sense that hey, you talk to somebody for an hour and you think they're a great fit and you hire them is a total mistake. Um, because as humans, we are just full of bias. And um, on the bias, you know, we talk about bias in like racial and gender and all of these things. And this is one part of it, but the, just the natural bias that if you talk fast and I talk fast, I'm going to like you a lot more than if you talk slow and I talk fast. If you have also a French accent, I'm going to understand you better. If we both go sailing, actually, this will make the conversation more pleasant. And more and more people, or very often people, make a, a mistake of thinking that a job interview is a conversation. It is not a conversation. It is actually a job interview where you are actually tasked with evaluating a number of uh, uh, criteria um, to see if this candidate would be a good fit for a job. So don't trust your judgment, uh, regardless of how good a judge of character you think you are. Um, and uh, one thing that has consistently worked uh, is uh, recruiting is a sales and marketing process. That, that hasn't changed. Um, you know, it's very simple. You want to make a great hire? Well, get enough amazing candidates in your pipeline and fight for them until you have the perfect candidate. Like, do not compromise on recruiting. And, in, and many companies, many managers actually don't do a good job at marketing themselves or their, or their sourcing candidates. So they end up with three mediocre candidates of which they have to pick one because now they're late. That's not recruiting, right? You should actually uh, invest in the upfront part of marketing and sourcing so you have enough candidate that you're like, oh my God, these three are perfect. Like I, I, I'm confused. I don't know which one to pick, right? And then you go fight for the, for the best candidate and, and measuring yourself in recruiting on that. Like who are you hiring? Are you hiring the best candidate that you've seen? Are you hiring the best candidate on the market, so active candidates, or are you hiring the best candidate in the market, so meaning anybody? So how deep are you actually going to go and get your hires? And knowing that every hire, like who you hire, defines everything. Um, so, yeah, it's a sales and marketing process. Don't trust your judgment. Two, two very good lessons, and I will say that I'm taking notes not just for this podcast, but for myself personally, so thank you for that. Love that. <laughs> so. <laughs> Quick transition a little bit. So, so you went um, the first ATS that you had, Mr. Ted, correct? Yeah. And I'm not supposed to ask why, although as a podcast host, I have to. I, I really want to ask why, but I won't. I won't. So then, then you started. Uh, you, you made the move to San Francisco. Um, San Francisco was in 20, 2010. What was the reasoning for the jump? I guess one to San Francisco and two. I, I guess yeah, I will leave it at that. What was the sort of foundation uh, of starting this next big thing for you in San Francisco? Scale. 
I think Silicon Valley um, offers tech companies um, uh, a scale that is hard to uh, uh, is hard to find in other countries. Um, certainly in B two B software, maybe less so in consumer. Even though you know Google, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and others were all founded here, right? So, uh, but the the scale you get in B two B, the access access to talent, access to capital. Um, you know, we we've raised a hundred million. I don't know that I could have raised that much money in Europe. Um, and then access to the market, U.S. market remains uh, uh, really big. Um, and I'm on a mission. You know, with smart recruiters, I'm on a mission to connect people to jobs at scale. Um, and uh, this was literally my Series A investment deck. It says I want to I want to solve unemployment. I want people to. I want to connect people to jobs at scale. I think recruiting is a technology problem, and it shouldn't be harder to. Uh, uh, it shouldn't be that hard to hire, and it shouldn't be that hard to find good people. Like this market just is broken for lack of tech and lack of transparency. Um, and I think we could do a much better job here. So, so okay, I have a big bold idea. I'll go to where big bold ideas become big companies, and that's San Francisco. <laughs> Well, when you put it like that, pretty straightforward. I like that a lot. So, so you you throughout the course of what is it 20, 2010 is when that started. So you uh, ha, have raised a hundred million dollars. You've built an amazing technology. You've also built a, a, a mammoth amount of uh, amazing talent within your organization as well, too. So, as a startup founder, how were you allocating your time between raising capital? The recruiting being such an important piece in hiring the best talent and running the business and helping the product grow. Sort of, I know you obviously have had some amazing talent helping throughout the course of that, but where sort of was most of your headspace during during the last you know ten years of running it? Um, most of my headspace is in uh, um, getting the right people, uh, like hiring, frankly, and and I think. This is an answer that many CEOs, many leaders would would give, right? It's like if you have the the right team, you're going to win. Uh, if you're focused on solutioning yourself, um, you know you're going to scale out. Um, and in a startup, as well as in any environment, who you hire defines everything. I mean, it defines your ability to sell, your ability to build products, your ability to innovate, to service customers. It defines your DNA, it defines your culture, it defines actually who you hire, defines you as a leader. Um, So I've I've always put this as my number one. Uh, And over the years, we have, yeah, we have really assembled an amazing team. Like I I could not be more uh, proud of uh, of our team and our smartians here. Um, and then if you have the right people, then then the rest kind of falls into place. Um, and for us, it was, you know, five years of R&D, like literally this company was 40 developers and me kind of for the first five years, pretty much. Uh, and then uh, uh, and then going to market uh, for enterprises like we needed to reset the bar. Um, so that has been my focus, um, hiring the right people and taking time to invest in R&D so that we come with, you know, if, if you want to go to a big company, a la visa, and you say, hey, you guys have been using, I don't know, Teleo or Brassring, and this powers all of your recruiting globally, and da, 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 da. I think I could replace that system and do a better job. You know, there's a lot that goes into that statement. Um, so we didn't half-bake the R&D part. 
Was that was that part of the plan um, when you first launched it was to say we're going to take as much time as we need, you know, to, to have the R&D? Because I, I asked this from a founder's perspective. I have certainly made the mistake of saying, let's get a product out the door as quickly as possible to get some testing on it. Then let's go back, fix it and get some more testing on it. Let's go back. Fix. And, and certainly uh, we've been at our current business for five years and year one, I thought we were ready to go. Then year two, I thought we were ready to go. Then year three and now. And so I, I've certainly made that mistake in my walk. So did you just right out the gate know, hey, we need to take as long as we possibly, or we need to take as long until we get it right? Or was that sort of baked into the plan? How did you go about deciding that? You know, I think we are, um, um, the, the quick iteration is, is a perfect um, way to do it. Um, at the feature level and at the initial product level, right? Um, our our pitch to the market was we're going to replace um, your applicant tracking system along with the CRM and the other systems that you have blocked this, right? The value prop is very simple. If you need to hire great people, you it's simple. You need to, one, find good candidates. So that's the marketing side of it. Two, you need to collaborate with hiring manager to pick the right one. So that's the interviewing collaboration. And three, your recruiters need to be organized and productive. Great. And along those lines, what does this mean? And then we build a plan and and, uh, being able to say, we're going to come to market with a replacement of an existing system is, I think, uh, 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 requires the right investment. Uh, it's the same as Workday did, right? Workday did that for uh, for HR systems, right? They just said, okay, we're going to invest uh, in a new version of PeopleSoft, if you want, and uh, and then came to market and became a replacement play. Um, so it is, it is a, a good um, and wise approach. But within those functionalities, then the fast iteration and quick validation was needed. And then we let the system, uh, we let people use the, the software for free during the first five years. So we were still accumulating a lot of usage patterns, data, and so on. And to this day, we continue to do this. We have a free version. So we don't charge for any companies that has less than 250 employees. Um, it's our Smart Start edition. You can, to this day, you can go and, and kind of sign up and create your account and uh, enjoy a pretty fully featured talent acquisition suite at no cost until you're big enough as a company. That's fantastic. And I, I just hearing the lesson of somebody who had the patience to say, let's get it right and then launch in a market. I certainly, certainly learned from that. So that's, that's amazing. Um, I want to, I want to transition for, for a second, obviously, and, and talk about, a, you know, a couple points in the book without, you know, with whatever you're comfortable talking with on that. So one stat that really, really stood out to me was this concept of, you know, when you first started hiring and then your great, great grandparents, you know, were hiring, there might've been, you know, 10 or 15 or a dozen options. And then the internet came along and people had a bunch of different jobs. And now I think, I think it was like 11 million different types of jobs uh, that people Mm -hmm. can apply for. So do you see that as a continuously growing path? Do you see that sort of plateauing or sort of like, I guess I'd love just to hear, I mean, it makes so much sense when you spell it out like that. 
Yeah, I'm, the evolution of jobs, the nature of job um, is uh, has evolved so much. And it's part of why recruiting is feeling harder and harder, despite we have more and more technology to do it. But it's like, oh, it's hard. And yeah, I mean, you know, 30 years ago, a developer is a developer is a developer. Nowadays, an iOS developer obviously is not an Android developer. Um, and you could actually narrow this down a, a bit further that an iOS developer that has a experience with high volume, uh, uh, you know, network effects that up is not the same as a, an iOS developer who does B2B high security uh, environments, right? So I think this trend continues. I think as humans, this is the evolution of the human race, right? We get more and more and more specialized in what we do because collectively we create things that are increasingly more complex. Um, so I don't see this trend going away. Jobs are, are more and more specialized. And uh, that means that the ability to match, to identify the right talent for the right job um, is uh, is more and more difficult, uh, essentially, just by the nature of it. And it's becoming remote. Um, so there's there's no doubt in my mind, and actually, frankly, in any economist's mind, that this is going to continue as a trend. More and more granular jobs, more specialized jobs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, it's spot on. I mean, my my father was an oral surgeon, his father was a surgeon, and then his father basically was an accountant. And I was sort of thinking about their their kind of tr- path and trajectory. Those were sort of one of 10 or 15 different jobs available. And then now when you talk about, you know, students in college, the different opportunities that they have to, to choose from, it's almost overwhelming the different paths that they can go down and different stuff like that. So I just found that that statistic really stood out to me. So, so thanks for providing that. The other, you know, the other one that I I guess I'd be curious your thought on so so much of of your your, your book and and what you talk about is related to you know fighting for the best talent, hiring the best talent, succeeding and bringing on the best talent a part of your organization. How do you also sort of create talent? And I guess the idea would be whether you're a large organi- organization and you're funding say intern programs through college universities and you're actually creating that talent how do you you know encourage organizations to have a 10 or 15 or 20 year mindset about those sorts of things and I, obviously there's a lot there and we could talk for hours about that but I'd love just your thoughts around creating talent as well too does that make sense I want to make sure that's that question yeah, makes sense it it does I think talent um Talent is the is a, a human being that's in the right job. That's talent. Any anybody can be talent. Um, it's not just like oh my superstar data scientist is talent or my you know future CEO of this company is talent. No, the receptionist who shows up every day on time has a big smile on on his or her face and uh, uh, is actually a, a, a reliable person that makes everybody feel welcome and is talent. It's like a super valuable receptionist, right? Much better than somebody who drops the ball and uh, is uh, unpleasant with visitors uh, or somebody that resigns after three months because they found out that it's not the right job for them. So you find talent in the, the right fit. Um, you create talent uh, by ensuring that uh, people are given the opportunities um, to evolve and to have a job in which they can excel. And you achieve that by bringing transparency uh, in your internal hiring. Um, 
obviously you achieve that by giving people training and development opportunities, good management. Da, da, da. There's a lot there, but in a primarily you achieve that by allowing a free flow of talent inside organizations. And in many organizations, and I talk about this, there's a chapter on the book about internal hiring, which is becoming even more important nowadays, allowing for a free flow of talent inside your organization uh, is uh, is really critical. In many organizations, it's actually harder to find a job internally than externally. And I speak every day, I speak to companies like, yeah, our internal mobility process. So when as a person, when you want to apply to a job internally, you have to ask your boss. I'm like, what? Seriously? I mean, because if I want to apply to your competitor, I don't need to ask my boss, right? So why would I need internal? Well, and then they have all these good reasons, right? But if, if you put... If you put internal talent in into silos, if you let uh, chiefdoms develop, if people, managers are sitting on top of their best people, because, yeah, of course, if you go and work in another department, that manager is going to have to replace you. That's bad news, right? But if you have to let, so you have to free your talent internally, and that's the best way to create to create talent. Just let's, let it be a free market, as yeah, free as like possible. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, I don't want to spend too much time uh, talking about COVID because that's what everybody's talking about. And I feel like you have way too much off to offer than just specifically focus on that. But my one question for you is, is there any sort of lessons or, or, or adjustments that change from when your book first came out and, and the, the you know, current state of hiring that caused, you know, that COVID causes that to change? Would you say there's anything different or adjustments being made with all that? You know, I think the world of recruiting definitely has changed. Um, and uh, if you are a TA leader right now, um, there's a couple of things you do. Um, one, you're um, focused on redeployments and internal hiring. Like um, you should make sure that uh, you definitely are not hiring externally if you have good candidates internally. And this is easier said than done. Um, so think about redeployment. Um, two, there's a good bit of the book that talks about how you uh, operate uh, recruiting in the most efficient manner. And I think CFOs are going to be asking TA leaders to step up and, and deliver uh, um, better services with less resources. And so now might be a good time to drive automation. Um, and uh, technology upgrades, we're seeing a lot of technology upgrades, right? Um, replacing your ATS is a bit like replacing the engine of a car. It's easier when the car is parked. Um, so now actually might be a good time to look back at your tech stack. Um, and uh, uh, the one thing that's not changing is you still need to hire the best talent. And it's not a time of uh, letting your guard down. On the contrary, this is a time where you can afford maybe to be more picky and, and where your uh, selection processes need to be better. Um, that's kind of how I see the, the impact here. Um, we have a big responsibility as TA leaders, um, as you know, 100 million plus people have lost their jobs uh, in the last months, and we're going to have to bring these people back into job quickly. That's a good time for TA practitioners, TA leaders to step up. On that note, so as we were talking before the call, I uh, I run a tech startup and I have six employees, right? And so you are dealing in a world of, uh, you know, mammoth enterprise uh enterprises and helping them with their hiring, what would be sort of the first 
roadmap to say, I know I need to hire the best talent in a small organization, just as important as a large organization, but where do I begin? What are the sort of small micro, you know, uh, steps that I can take to being on the path to hiring the best talent? I think you start with um, uh, good interview scorecards and collaborative hiring. That's the first thing. Um, you actually implement a proper um, set of interview feedback or interview scorecards that are focused on must uh, achieves, not on must have, right? Must have five years experience writing Java code, must be able to write amazing Java code, like two, two very different things. So must achieves um, and you make a hiring collaborative. So don't trust your judgment. And if you do that, then you intro instantly introduce a culture of we need to hire amazing talent. And then you can work on filling the talent pipeline. And that goes with you know marketing and sourcing candidates and having proper talent attraction strategies. There's like a whole section of the book on, uh, about this. But this is a marketing problem. It's actually not hard to solve. What's hard to solve is once I have a, a good candidate coming in, am I actually really good at identifying and closing the one we want? So I'd start there. Love that. That makes it uh, that makes it practical and pretty pretty reasonable to take next step going forward. So, um, my you know I obviously want to give you opportunity to, you know share about the book specifically in smart recruiters as well too. Um, I guess my my sort of at the end of the day, what would be sort of your biggest goal that you want to achieve with everything that you're doing with the book, everything that you're doing with smart recruiters? I think the last, you know, 30 minutes of recording and, and all of your talks certainly identify that, but I'd love for you just to share a little bit, like kind of what's your, between the two that you have going on, and obviously there's a lot of overlap. What's your big goal that you want to achieve here? I want to connect people to jobs at scale. Um, it's very simple. I, I, I see that, I see that, you know, 80% of uh, um, of Fortune 500 don't believe they hire great people. Um, hiring great talent is uh, on top of the CEO's mind, um, survey after survey. And on the flip side, it's really hard for candidates to find a good job. And I think we could we can do a better job at that. Um, so my my calling in life and and what I'm trying to achieve here is uh, is to up level recruiting. It's um, you know it's achieve hiring success and hiring success is simple. It's the ability to hire amazing talent on demand. Wouldn't your CEO love that? Um, and so through the book, which is actually a book for CEOs, because um, CEOs you know they want to hire great talent, but then they pass it to HR and they measure recruiting on cost per hire and time to fill faster, cheaper. That's just a race to the bottom. No, you actually invest in recruiting to hire great talent, just like you invest in marketing to acquire customers and changing that mindset and making recruiting a value add function that is strategic and a strategic competitive tool um, to allow CEOs to effectively out hire their competition. That's the transformation that we're seeing and what the technology now today enables, right? If you look at the smart recruiters talent acquisition suite or others, actually the technology is not the problem here. The problem is like, how do you think about hiring and how do you actually uh, uh, achieve hiring success? Um, and that's, uh, that's what I describe in the book as well. So a very simple mission, a very big one in a way, but a very simple one. Uh, let's make sure everyone's got a great job, a job they love and uh, bring fluidity and transparency in the, in the labor market. 
That's inspiring. I will say that it's inspiring. I love it. And you guys are doing some amazing job at it. it, it my, my, my favorite question, I think even you, you sort of answered it in the last one is, you know, what gets, what gets you out of bed in the morning? I'm going to add one, one little piece to that. If I did a, an hour long podcast with Jerome or I met him, you know, for, in 30 minutes and he left an impact on my life, what would you like, what would you want that, that impact to be on someone? Um, if they're a recruiter, I would say, um, remember that candidates are human beings. It sounds harsh, but right now, today, thousands and thousands of jobs are out there that people are actually not hiring for. Millions of applicants are applying to jobs that are not real. So if you can do uh, one thing for me today, go back to your ATS and post the jobs that you're actually not hiring for. Inform the candidates that have been waiting for an answer and keep only the jobs that, that you're really hiring uh, for. And overall, um, I, would, uh, um, I would say what keeps me, uh, what gets me out of bed is to know that every day we can actually help someone find a great job and help a manager find a great talent. Uh, like literally when, you know, when I started Smart Recruiters and I came home, my daughter at the time was like eight and she wanted to know if I had a good day. And she always asked me the same question. And her question was, so dad, how many jobs have you created today? And, you know, we had an online dashboard that was plugged in the software, which we still have actually. And I was like, oh, 927. This is a good day. And yeah, in our eyes, that's what I do for a living. I create jobs. Um, obviously, uh, uh, there's a lot more that goes into that. But if we can help people find great jobs, I think I'll, I'll wake up tomorrow morning and try and do more. That's amazing. That's so good. Well, I want to say a huge thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Um, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? Obviously, we'll include you know socials, links to the book, and to Smart Recruiters as well, too. But is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? No, just uh, happy hiring. Love that. Jerome, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thank you for having me, Matt. 